Welcome to the We Are SE podcast. Uh, Eric McKinney here with Daryl Rodeau. Daryl, we're going to go uh, Monday morning cornerback uh, w- with you this year. Um, big news uh, right off the top, right off the top of the 2019 season. First game, first half, starting quarterback JT Daniels goes down. It's an ACL injury, a meniscus tear. He's out for the season. <laughs> You had so much sort of positivity over the off season coming in. You race out, race out to that fourteen nothing start against Fresno State, and it just it it comes crashing down. You you hang on for the win, thirty one twenty three, but J T Daniels goes down. Announcement now he's out for the season and. And really, everything since that fourteen nothing lead, maybe the thirty one thirteen lead, everything since then has just sort of been a gut punch of maybe here we go again. Your your reaction to um, specifically J T Daniels going down uh, and looking forward, kind of at, at that position now. Keaton Slovis going to be brought in as the starter again, going forward. You, you know, if, if you're Clay Heldon, you have so much optimism. You got that whole new car smell with, uh, um, <clears throat> with the offense and the explosion that you saw in the first half. In particular, like you said, the first quarter, JT gets off to a firing start. And you said, this is why, and you're thinking if you're Clay Heldon, this is why you make the changes that you make. You bring in an offense that has some flair and some pizzazz that fits the skill set of your quarterback and the skilled players around your quarterback. But then when JT Daniel goes down, it's as though you just lost the engine in your car and no disrespect or no slight to Keaton Slovis, but there's a reason why JT Daniels was deemed the starter and Slovis was deemed the backup. It's the experience. It's the maturation of going through a full season and understanding the peaks and valleys of that season. Now, when Slovis came in, make no mistake about it. He lit fire. He started off five for five before throwing that ill-advised interception. But the, the, the plays that you saw from JT Daniels in the, first, in the first quarter, the command that he possessed in that offense is something that this team is definitely going to miss moving forward as Slovis goes through. If, again, Slovis uh, continues to be the starter moving forward, that's yet to be determined. But if he is deemed the starter based on what we saw, there's going to be those the, the, the struggles, the maturation of him going through a full game as opposed to coming in um, off the bench where teams don't have a chance to game plan for him. Now, Eric, here's my concern when, when you start to talk about losing a guy like JT Daniels and the leadership there, the confidence that he gives the defense. In the past, when USC has mixed in different quarterbacks it causes a little bit of uncertainty for defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergast, and it changes how he calls games. Will we see the same, or will we see a team that rallies around this quarterback and continues to just play their game? Because if that is the case, it is going to spell a long season for these Trojans. I I agree. I I think we're back to kind of wait and see. I think there was a lot of positivity coming into the season, but it was always couched with, certainly here, it was always couched with, we'll see. You know, they're going to have to show it. They're going to have to prove it. It sure looked like they were doing that early in the game. And now 
you know, you're back to square one. You're going to go in against Stanford the the same way I think a lot of USC players, maybe not players, but certainly USC fans went in against Fresno State thinking we're getting a quarterback making his first start. This is this is going to be almost easy. And so now you have, I'm sure, Stanford thinking, hey, we're, we're getting a true freshman making his first start. Granted, it's it's going to be at home. Um, but but that's going to be something that's fascinating to watch what Stanford tries to do against Keaton Slovis. But that that's getting a little bit ahead. I want I want to stick on Fresno State um, a little bit just just to review some of that game, what we saw um, overall. For for me, the things that stand out, the themes are a lot of the same issues that you saw last year. The the four turnovers. Uh, again, if you want to chalk that up to, okay, this is the first game, um, a couple, you know, maybe bad reads. JT Daniels get, get seems like he gets a little panicked after bobbling that snap, throws it right to a defender right at the goal line. Um, if Keaton Slovis is, you know, trying to make a play and he let the ball go too early and there was just a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a misread in where Michael Pittman was going to end up. Uh, and then the, the fumble, obviously JT Daniels gets hurt on the play. Right. You know, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to bash a guy for fumbling the ball when he tears his ACL and, and meniscus on the play. Um, and then Tyler Vaughn's who had really one of the most sort of up and down games that I can remember from, from any USC player. I mean, the, the, if you look at his numbers, 11 catches, 150 yards, that, that's a fantastic game. The, the punt return that he, fields inside the the five yard line right uh, the drop right after that on that third down he had a fumble late in the game so so those are things again okay it's a it's a first game you're sort of you know getting the knocking the rust off and that sort of thing but the, it's just so easy to think about last year the the turnovers the there weren't a huge number of penalties but the ones that they had erased just you know gigantic plays took a touchdown uh, off the board on, on a pass to Michael Pittman uh, and, and then just the little thing, you know, the, the two numbers on the opening kickoff, that's going to be something I think maybe it's not a, a big deal uh, in terms of it just being a five-yard penalty. But again, it took away a huge return, and it's just sort of yeah. one of those things that can be indicative of the way the, the program is being run. You still have a lot of time the rest of the season to sort of make that a thing of the past. Um, but certainly for me, th- those are kind of the overlying themes of, oh, no, this sure looks a lot like uh, last year. Eric, I would have to agree with you. If, if there was the best example of what you're talking about last year rearing its ugly head has to be starting the game off on special teams with the same number, two number sevens on the field, taking away a very explosive uh, kickoff return by uh, Valus Jones. It's It's those things that, not only the coaches have to be mindful of, but if you're the players in particular, some of the veteran players that are coming back and returning from last year, it's one thing to think that, okay, this is a new season, new coaches, we're going to wipe the slate clean. But it's another thing when you start seeing these same issues. In particular, that those plays where you're talking about a special teams, who's on the field formations and things like that is something that is rehearsed on a week-in and week-out basis, Eric. In particular, the night before the game, when you're in the hotel, the morning of the game, when you're at the hotel, you go through all these dress rehearsals, find out who's on the field. And you mean to tell me that if you're Chase Williams and you're Stephen Carr 
and, and you're talking about being on a kickoff return team, it, it makes no sense. Hey, wait a minute. I also wear number seven. How are we going to address this? None of the coaches were able to see that. You got as many coaches on the sideline as you do. That, that is just inexcusable. But again, it's because of the lack of attention to details leads you to wonder, although these are new coaches, something still is missing from the cohesiveness of this coaching staff that, that can't seem to quite catch those details. In, in addition to that, you talk about getting off to a fast start, but then when adversity strikes, you get an ill-advised um, penalty that maybe um, voids out a, a positive play. How does this team react? And it, this team didn't seem to react the way that you would think that a championship a team that aspires for greater would respond. This team seems to kind of fall into a doldrum where one mistake kind of compounds the next. And that's what we saw, I believe, to end the first half. You saw an interception um, thrown by JT Daniels, then leads to a fumble. And granted, you know, you highlighted the circumstances of that fumble by JT, but it just goes to show they went three possessions straight where it led to turnovers, two to end the first half and then one to start the second, uh, the second half. And those are some of the mistakes that you would think would get cleaned up. A good coaching staff, Eric, would make those adjustments throughout the game, not wait to halftime to have this, this, um, this, this great rah-rah halftime speech but make those subtle adjustments throughout the game in between series to give their team a fighting chance. And we're not quite seeing that yet. Although there's a lot of games left on the, on the, on the, um, <clears throat> on the schedule, you're now bringing in, as you indicated, a team like Stanford that isn't going to beat itself like Fresno State did, where there was some self-inflicted wounds that USC was able to capitalize on. A team like Stanford is going to force you to beat them. And they're going to see how disciplined you are and how quickly you can make some uh, corrections to mistakes that, that were clearly glaring in a game of, of, of uh, this magnitude versus the Bulldogs of Fresno State. So I, you, you mentioned halftime here, and that was, again, something last year that just you, USC had so many games where they just could not get things going uh, in the second half. And this, I, you know, you, you say if you take out the Bayless Jones kickoff return touchdown, I, I know that's it's part of the game. Special teams are part of it. But if you take that out, it, you know, they, they score seven points uh, in the second half and none in the fourth quarter. They, they were shut out 10 nothing in the fourth quarter. And if you look at total yards, USC had 308 total yards at halftime. I mean, it, it was 308 total yards, 164 for Fresno State. Fresno State ends up outgaining them. Uh, in terms of total yards for the game, Fresno State ends with 462 to 447 uh, for USC. So that's almost 300 total yards uh, of offense for Fresno State in the second half. What did you see specifically defensively from USC? And and it doesn't have to just be the second half, but really throughout the game. This, this was a USC team where you thought, okay, the strength is in the front seven. So many returners, especially up on the defensive line. And and maybe they get picked apart a little bit uh, in the secondary because there is that experience. I, I'm curious, your overall sense of kind of what happened um, defensively for USC, either first half, second half, or, or just kind of overall what they tried to do and what Fresno State was really sort of able to exploit, certainly in the second half, again, with a quarterback that didn't bring a whole lot of experience into this game. 
Well, when you when you when you, when I think of a Jeff Tedford coach team, and you think about how they're going to script plays, they showed multiple fronts early on in the game. Twelve personnel, one running back, two tight ends. They showed some twenty-one personnel, two two running backs, one tight end. They showed multiple fronts to just really try to get a feel for how USC was going to attack them. But then, as the game wore on. Fresno State started to make adjustments, and those adjustments were predicated on the quarterback, Jorge Rene, his strengths, what he was able to do, getting getting out of the box and on the edges, the perimeters, and really forcing USC to have to make those uh, also counter adjustments. Um, Defensively, what I saw from USC was in the first half, a defensive line was able to keep Rene in the pocket, containing him with Christian Rector and Drake, um, Drake Jackson. But as the game wore on and you start to see more and more guys rotate in, the pocket started to extend out. Now that causes a second layer of defense. And the way that Clancy's defense is designed, it's really to bottle in the quarterback and then force him to fan out so that the, the, the speed rush of the linebackers can kind of flow downhill. But included in the, in the front seven, you also have to account for the free and strong safety because they're asked to make a ton of plays inside the box in terms of tackling uh, due to the pursuit. When you do that and you put your safeties, Isaiah um, um, Polamau and um, uh, Hufanga, number 15, the, the strong safety, you keep them in the box. What happens is you leave your corners exposed. And Clancy is is one who loves to run a lot of man coverage. As a result of that, you start seeing corners running up the field and then those inverted routes. Either they're crossing routes by the receivers or they're uh, posts or slants. Now the the receivers are running away from the defender. And the defender, who should be on, on the high shoulder, is expecting help underneath. And when that help is avoided or vacated because the pocket collapses or perhaps they're reading a run play when they should be reacting to the run and covering the pass first, those being the safeties, what we're seeing is a team that looks like they're not in sync in terms of how they're going to communicate. That's what happened when um, Fresno State started to gain momentum. We saw plays going down the field that now is on film in a team like Stanford will capitalize. A guy like Costello will make a lot of the passes that Renee was unable to make due to the windows that Costello will see. In addition to that, we also saw safeties taking bad angles, undercutting routes when they really should have been in a high position to come downhill to either make a tackle or deflection if they can't get to the interception. And that was the case in the first half with the touchdown that was given up. Chase Williams would be the first to tell you, as I looked at his body language, my bad. That was on me. He misjudged his jump. Now, you might want to credit that to perhaps it being the first game, but when you see it over the course of a career, um, coming out of the secondary from a Clay Helton coach team, you start to wonder, are these corners and defensive backs pressing because of the ghosts of the past? all that they've heard about giving up deep balls. Now, when you look at this secondary, this is a whole new slate of guys who hadn't quite played together for the, uh, uh, you know, a full season. But it doesn't mean that they're not reminded of the mistakes of the, uh, of the graduating defensive backs that have left this program. So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing guys maybe pressing a little bit too much 
And as a result of that, it's leading to hero ball and mistakes. I think one of the things to keep in mind defensively, specifically going forward, is the way Fresno State had success with that jet sweep and, and getting guys the ball quickly getting to the perimeter. Uh, if you look at the running back, Ronnie Rivers, he, you know, 14 carries, 53 yards, under four yards per carry. His long on the game was only seven yards. So you, you look at that specifically, how did they do against the opposing running back? Not bad. I mean, I, I think USC, especially in, uh, against the interior run, was pretty good when you look at it you know getting wide receivers the ball on those uh jet sweeps five times 66 yards so that is certainly something that i'm sure other teams are going to take a look at and usc is going to need to find a way to counteract that how how about defensively some positives that you saw what what did you take from this game where it's that's something you can build on that's something that, that will help them going forward and maybe matches up well a little bit with the rest of the schedule well, when you think about the starters, again, and you talk about the interior part of the trenches from Brandon Peely, um, I start to think about the, the, the edge rushers. Drake Jackson and Christian Rector are picking up where they left off during fall camp. And you, you see why everyone is so high on Drake Jackson as a freshman, so poised. Kind of looks like Lawrence Jackson, the way that he's playing right now, uh, to pay homage to a, a former um, in-rusher from USC. What, what I like about what I saw was the athleticism, the, their abilities to beat one-on-one battles. From the safeties, I think that the strength of this team will be the safeties in terms of how active they are in the run game. Again, if you can keep a free safety in the middle of the field to protect those corners to buy time, I think that this defense, from a starting perspective, has the, has the potential to be a good defense. I don't know if they'll be great because I think that in order to be great, you almost have to have a two-man rotation or a 22-man rotation uh, when, when you're rotating guys in and out. And I don't think that the depth is there yet. But um, glowing spots, I also thought that, uh, John Houston did a great job of getting guys lined up and then also being very active. I thought he recorded like double digit tackles. I believe he recorded close to 10 tackles. Um, I, I like what I saw from that perspective, but really it's going to come down to the athleticism of Isaac Taylor Stewart or Elijah Griffin or Chris Steele. Can they win those outside battles to give this defense a chance? Because if you force a team to kind of have to march up the field, with the athleticism from the interior front seven, it's going to be hard for teams to do that unless they can steal chunk plays, and that's going to come down to the athleticism of the secondary. But all in all, I like what I'm seeing from the interior front seven. I think you can win and grow from that. I thought that the corners are bigger, longer, and more athletic, but it's going to come down to, again, can they get help from the safeties who are being asked to play in the box? Yeah, 13 tackles for, for John Houston on the day. He, he certainly seemed wow. kind of flying around. And really, again, Fresno State forced him to kind of get outside and, and track some of those uh, some of the outside runs down. I thought kind of sideline to sideline, he, he looked pretty good. Turning the page a little bit, you know, Stanford, we're, we're not going to sort of break down the entire Stanford game. We've, we've got a few days leading up uh, to, to get into prep for that. But initial thoughts on – how you feel like maybe this USC team can take a step forward from Fresno State 
And, and really this is, and, and we had talked about this coming into the season, this Stanford game, I think is, is so important. It, I, you know, you, you have that sort of gauntlet, that three game stretch of Utah, Washington, Notre Dame. And obviously that's going to mean a whole lot, but the mindset of this team and now more than ever with a new quarterback uh, lining up here against Stanford, but I think the mindset of this team could change so much based on a win or a loss against Stanford. I think it could really send your season kind of one of two directions, even with, again, that three-game stretch there, which you may end up struggling through. I think this is is maybe the most important game of the season to kind of tell the tale of where you are as a program. And again, Stanford's going to come in and they're going to run their system like we saw from a Fresno, a, a less talented Fresno State team than what Stanford will, Stanford will bring in. Stanford's going to know where to exploit things in this USC offense and defense. So I think it's going to be important for USC to be buttoned up in all phases. We just have not seen that. They've not proven that yet. Can they, in your mind, can they prove it? Is this something where you really do give them a shot against Stanford coming into the Coliseum? I I think that when you think about how Clay Helton has fared with um, Shaw from Stanford in, in, in terms of the teams that he's put on the field, they match up really well. Clancy seems to have dialed in on what it's going to take to, to really um, stymate Stanford's potent uh, physical offensive attack. At times, you'll see an extra uh, body on the defensive line and really forcing when Stanford tries to go what we call end over uh, slot, um, which is really, it, it's just when Stanford adds an extra tie, uh, tackle on the field and it creates an inverted side they do that to create really a physical power rushing game usc does a good job of matching that body for body and they have the they have the horses up front to be able to do that where the game really comes down to is quarterback play can usc manufacture enough offense from keaton slovis to keep the chains moving that's going to be the key because Stanford isn't going to beat themselves, as we talked about, like Jorge Rene was trying to fill his way through the Coliseum. Um, Stanford uh, behind uh, Costello, Kevin Costello and this kid, uh, D. Mills, who, who threw seven for 14. Costello was 16 of 20 for 152 yards. Only one touchdown in the game against Northwestern. But again, this is a disciplined team that is going to, they're going to pick their, their, um, their moments. They'll hit you with some jabs, hit you with some jabs. And the moment that they see you relax, that's when they'll take a shot with those potent tight ends. Um, the running game behind Cameron Scarlett is really where they want to feature. Stanford defensively against USC, I think what Stanford is going to want to show a young uh, quarterback like Keaton Slovis is two high safeties. Maybe they run some quarters. Maybe they're uh, quarter, quarter halves or maybe they run a, um, some cover two because they know that coming off of this game, USC featured a lot of quick outs and quick slants. The way you take away that is to go quarter, quarter halves, and now you have linebackers and safeties all running downhill to kind of jump those hot routes. If Slovis can find pockets with, I mean, find windows within the pocket and, and hit the ball in rhythm, as he does have a quick release, it's going to be what I think comes down to his strengths. 
those short to intermediate routes, not necessarily trying to take advantage of the deep ball, but really keep the drive, keep the ball moving and keeping this offense on schedule. If, if this offense can do that behind a game plan that features Slovis's success, I think USC can gain confidence throughout the game and have momentum and pull it off because I'm not certain that, that uh, Stanford has enough firepower to match USC's offense if USC can stay on schedule. But if we find themselves in a dogfight and it comes down to a possession-by-possession game, then you have to give the nod to Shaw uh, and, and what he's done over the years. I, I tend to trust him a little bit more than I would Clay Helton in making those critical decisions. You know, it, it does feel like with Stanford and USC recently, and, and I mean recently over you know, 10, 12, 15 years, it feels like no matter where the seasons go for each program, it, you know, one could end up being great. One could end up kind of having a lousy year. It seems like when they get together, they play at each other's level. And it always becomes this sort of, you know, tight game. We've seen, obviously, a couple exceptions there. And Clay Helton was head coach for one of them, where USC just sort of figured it out on the ground and, and ran right. all over uh, Stanford a couple of years ago. So we'll see. But it, it does always feel like no matter the circumstances, these two teams – get together for a really nice game. So that is something. And Eric, one more more point to that. Yeah. Um, Because these two teams play so early in the season, it really does become an early season defining game. Because if if USC is able to pull this off, all of a sudden they steal momentum. You can chalk up the Fresno State game to the loss of a JT Daniels in the first half. The narrative starts to change. And then you can say, okay, they're just knocking off rust, breaking in a new, new coaching staff. If they perform well and they have a dominating performance against Stanford, that momentum starts to carry you into the likes of a BYU and going into a Utah early in your season. It gives you the confidence because you start to feel battle tested. So this is a critical game. And I wouldn't be surprised if a part of the Fresno State game plan was actually looking ahead, knowing that this battle against Stanford was going to be the implications of this battle it was going to take on a greater significance because you're playing them so early in the season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I could not agree more with, with all those points. So again, we're at a point in uh, another USC season where it's, we'll see, Let, let's see what they put on the field against Stanford. If some of those things, like we said, are buttoned up and if Keaton Slovis can take that step and become you know, the, the leader of this USC offense moving forward, it, it's a lot to put on a true freshman shoulders going against uh, a Stanford defense with some really dynamic players in it. But I don't know if this is a, the, the dominant Stanford team that we've seen in the past. We're going to find out uh, on Saturday. So for Daryl Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast, Monday morning cornerback.